Now, this is Box to Box Offside with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box Offside. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley for a podcast where each week we'll talk to a person whose life has been lived through football, either domestically or around the world. People who we watch or watched on the pitch or had our heart rates pumping as they describe moments in history. Those who wrote the prose and descriptions of iconic moments and the ones behind the scenes who set the stage for the summit. Now, our guest this week is Heather Garriock, one of the highest appearance holders for the Matildas with 130 caps for Australia between 1999 and 2011. She won an AFC Women's Asian Cup in 2010, the 2003 Oceania Football Confederation Women's Championship and appeared in three FIFA Women's World Cups in 03, 07 and 11. She scored in 2003 and 07 and represented Australia at the Sydney 2000 and Athens 2004 Olympic Games. She played top-tier club football in Australia, Europe and America and won domestic trophies in Australia, Denmark and Sweden. She won the Julie Dolan medal in 2003, the highest individual honour for a women's footballer in Australia. Heather won multiple NPL titles as a coach for Sydney Uni, coached Canberra United in the W League and was an assistant coach for the Matildas. Off the field, Heather has been an advocate for women's football, including fighting for players to have maternity support and on top of all that, she's a fantastic pundit across the women's and men's game and a director of Football Australia. So I can't talk on forever, Heather. Welcome to the show. What a uh, catalogue of success that is over your career. Thanks, Rob, and thanks for having me on box to box It's an honour. Uh, no, not at all. Um, and, and, and this is a, a deep dive discussion that um, that we're, we're sort of hoping to, to just find more of the more about the people who who influence football, just not in Australia, but uh, but uh, those who've had a, 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 an influence on football overseas, and uh, um, and and we're we're bringing to our listeners those stories. So, I mean, let's go back to your, to your earliest days, Heather, and you know you're. Not a particularly sporty family, as my sort of uh, research goes. Uh, a family of five kids, uh, and uh, and you started kicking a ball around at six years old. So, personally, my interest is always what what uh, was the influence that started uh, you uh, with a with a football and 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 say not a basketball or a netball or picking up uh, you know a, a a tennis racket or something like that. Yeah, sure, good question, and, and I get get asked it all the time, and. Um, the, the simple answer is that I've got a Scottish father who um, loved, loved, lived and breathed football, especially um, back in his hometown, which he's currently in at the moment in Edinburgh in Scotland. Um, he, he played, um, he moved to Australia when he was 17 and obviously uh, I was born as, as a second last. The other three kids weren't too sporty. Um, there's my older sister, um, my brother Dean, who, who played a little bit of football but not, not so much and then my older sister, uh, Vanessa, and then you, you've obviously got myself, who was a little tomboy growing up and just wanted to um, be like a, like a daddy, to be honest. Um, he played football. I, I went to watch him play football every, every single week, um, and I just wanted to be like him. And, and at age five years old, Dad said to me, uh, do you want to play soccer? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to play football. And um, and it started from there. And, look, obviously we, we, we grew a really um, – you know, strong bond, and it's something that uh, you know I've had to this day, and that it was his influence. And um, to be honest, he was the he was the person that that would coach me and and guide me and and um, really give it to me. 
And then I had my mum as well who was, um, you know, non-sporty and, and would support me off the field. So it was dad's influence and I'm really grateful for that and, and grateful to this day because, um, again, regardless of, of um, what I've done and where I've been, um, he's been by my side um, every step of the way. You moved to the Marconi Stallions, who are an iconic uh, NPL club in this country. So, you know, we, um, we're in Melbourne, but I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. We don't truly know uh, Marconi. Um, the, the first opportunity to be uh, in a, uh, what was and still is in Australia, a, a big football club environment. How did that happen? Yeah, it was, um, it was, I was only young. I was only 12 or 13 years old. And I remember going to trial and there was an older guy there and um, he was almost, he was part of the furniture. His, his name was George Streeter and he was really um, embedded in the women's side of things. And I remember being so young yet, having to trial for, for the reserve grade team and it was an open women's team. Um, but I just remember the change rooms. I remember the field. I remember the setup. I remember the the jerseys, the light blue jerseys sponsored by Adidas. I remember everything about that. And um, getting chosen for Marconi was was a great honour. And uh, to this day, I hold Marconi as, as um, a real turning point in my career. Um, it was something where I felt proud to be part of something bigger than um, you know, myself as a player, I could play with um, a, a prestige brand. We could then, you know, play on a Sunday and then go and watch a men play. You're talking about the Craig Fosters, Andy Harpers. Um, Francis Aboratifi was playing at that time. That was like the golden years of, of, um, of Marconi where they were so successful. I remember going into their change rooms, seeing the boot room, seeing how they had their own lockers. And, and it, it was just, it just inspired me. And I don't know. I, I, I um, like I said, I, I, I never thought um, I could ever play fully professional. Um, I just wanted to play football. That's all I knew and that's all I wanted to do. But playing for Marconi and George Streeter um, giving me my first first contract at Marconi was something that's really special to me and something that, you know, I really hold close to my heart, um, Marconi, and I still follow them to this day. These days, I mean, we look at Sam Kerr, who you played alongside of as a 16-year-old in that 2010 uh, Asian uh, Cup uh, victory. But back in those days, those opportunities were really not available uh, for young women in the, in the same way they were for you. You, you had a 10-year period with the New South Wales Sapphires, the Queensland Sting, where you really had to learn your craft as, uh, you know, in a professional but semi-professional environment. Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think the foundation, and and I say this to all young aspiring football footballers, the foundation for me was um, getting getting selected at Westfield Sports High School. Mm. Now, um, it's while whilst I played, um, you know, I got selected for N Swiss and under um, coach Connie Selby as a young 13, 14, 15 year old, it was um, day in, day out, training three, four times a week under Kelly Cross, who was the head coach. And I, I lived down the road to my best mate who was a netballer. And she even said to me just this week, how respectful and respected Kelly Cross was and how all the players um, would train so hard and to want to be, be at their best um, because uh, under his leadership and Technically, I think the most important thing for a young footballer is to be able to learn your craft technically and then you can learn the, the tactical side of the game, which I, I feel that I did learn a little bit later on. It was more when I debuted for the Matildas. So um, I think Westfields was a foundation and then to go on and get selected for, for, for N-Swiss and, and play for the Sapphires, we're talking about a young 
a young girl, I've got a nine-year-old daughter and I couldn't imagine her doing that in the next couple of years, to then play with open players that that, that were already established and playing for the Matildas. So that, that was really difficult, um, the maturity side of things um, and, and fitting in and, and whatnot. But, yeah, look, I think Westfields was a foundation and then to go on and, and, and play with um, N-Swiss and under Connie Selby, that was, um, that, that was really important for me and, and my career as well. And yeah, very humble, Heather, but um, if my research uh, is correct, you had to trial for your spot at Westfield Sports High and at the time you were the only girl out of about 100 kids trialling. Yeah, there, there was actually, um, and, and I, I, don't, I don't mind uh, name dropping, there, there was actually over 250 kids that trialled and uh, it was uh, Oscar Gonzalez that, that had um, scouted me at a tournament that we played in a in a girls only tournament a PWSA tournament which was the first of its kind in Bathurst and um yeah I went on to trial and I was the only girl in in that year in the 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 82 year uh, year age um the the older age group was uh Kelly Golobiowski who was one of the youngest to debut for the Matildas at 15 I think it was and also Carly Copeland but to be the only girl um it, it was tough it I, I haven't really thought of how tough it was until, um, you know, you're older and you reflect back. And it was more about trying to prove yourself, trying to trying to show the boys that you should be there and 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 um, you are good enough to be there. So, yeah, it was it it was it was a real really important period of my my career and and to build my character and to build my technical, um, you know ability as well as a footballer and we take it for granted these days when we hear of our our women um, signing for for clubs in the states and in europe and and throughout asia as well but back in those days uh, when uh, when you headed over to uh, saratoga springs in new york to the Adir- adinarak links am i pronouncing that correctly heather well it took me a thousand times to say it uh, it's at adirondack <laughs> adirondack and that's a that's the American uh, lingo on the end of it. Okay, so so this is two thousand and seven by this stage. So you've you've gone through school those days with the Sapphires and the Sting and the and the and the development squads. How how did that happen? Because at this stage, you know, you're still a few years away. Um, it's in the the very early formative stages of the National Women's Soccer League. Uh, uh, well being talked about really um and has hasn't achieved the status that it subsequently went on to so uh, so this is some pretty pioneering stuff yeah it was um you know the matildas uh, we're, we're all mates and the camaraderie uh with the matildas and a, a player by the name of sarah cooper who was an exceptional player a defender um played back in the in the in the 90s and early 2000s she actually moved over there and she was a good mate of mine and uh, I said to her, I said, look, I, I'd like to to branch out and, and, and try and play overseas. And it was her that lived around the area that actually set up the deal. So um, that, that was a really exceptional experience. And the reason why it was so important, I think, was to be able to just get a bit of a taste of what it was like to play at semi-professional level and to be able to play with a different culture and a different style. And I, I absolutely loved it. I went over, I went over there with... Um, with another Matilda, uh, Danielle Small, again a great attacking um, midfielder, um, and and we loved it. it. It was unbelievable. And look, 
we had all the success. It was fantastic. And those uh, opportunities that he, that existed there clearly, you know, set the stage for you for uh, for what was to come. You you end up uh, um, in in Europe with uh, Fortuna and and have success there before coming back home to what was the, the, the well the early days of the W League with uh, Sydney FC. Yeah, for sure. I think I think Fortuna again um, contacts. You've got Ali Foreman, who was my captain when I first come into the Matildas team who um, is embedded and still works for Fortuna Uring and, and part of the, the Dana Cup, um, she asked if I was interested. And, and you know, being a left-sided player, it's very rare to, to find a good left-sided player, um, especially over in Denmark or Europe. And, and she'd asked if, if I'd consider coming over. And it was a fabulous experience. Um, and then to go over there, it was tough. It, I struggled um, from, a, from a weather point of view. Um, the training side of things, and then to be able to um, share and show um, that, that you're a quality footballer, you're almost like a commodity. Um, you know, they buy you, <laughs> as as all footballers are now. They buy you and and obviously care for your well-being. However, they just want you to perform on the pitch. And then um, I did really well. I scored. I I played left back and and scored basically in every game. The coach Fleming, who um, to be honest, was one of the best coaches that ever coached me uh, throughout my career. He really had a big impact on me. He um, he was such an exceptional coach. Um, I, I played over there and then came back after the, the Fortuna Uring um, stint, uh, where I was really successful, and um, come and played uh, for Sydney FC. And I just, I actually couldn't believe that I was playing for a team that was branded Sydney FC when the men's A-League was Sydney FC. And I just remember wearing the jersey and wearing the gear. And I just remember being so proud to be part of something that wasn't just about the women or just about the men. It was about us. And um, yeah, that, that was a really big moment. And, you know, obviously I captained the Sydney FC team and, and, and whatnot under Alan Stagic. And, and um, that was a fabulous year, that one. What we've discussed today has just been there's so much success in your early career clubs, all those experiences. And then you probably get um, the opportunity to go to the big time in the National Women's Soccer League in 2009. And and you hit with uh, what can only be described as disaster when it comes to injury. So let's just explore some of the more difficult times in your playing career. You went to Chicago, lots of expectation around you. You were flying for the national team at the time. Yeah. And on the eve of the very first um, inaugural Chicago Red Stars game. And that team has so many amazing players in it. You tear your quad and it's sort of downhill from there. Can you just take us to that um, moment, just the thrill of getting the contract at Chicago, moving to America, being part of the, the program and then having to deal with, you know, some really nasty injuries in that uh, in that year? Yeah, sure. Um Getting drafted to the American League was a dream for me. It was so many years in the making. I remember being on the phone, you know, week in, week out to, to Tony Giacchico, who was a, the Boston coach, and then the, the league folded. Um, it was something that uh, I aspired to to be part of um, so many years of my life, whether it be I wanted to go to college in America. It was just uh, my dream to, to, to be in America. And um, look, Emma Hayes got the job as Chicago Red Stars coach. And I remember receiving a phone call from her and I just got on with her like a house on fire. It, it was just um, it was just a connection that that I knew that I wanted to play under Emma Hayes. And um, you've got the, the American system where you go to a draft system. 
And there's so many amazing players that, that go through that draft system. And it's just a matter of you waiting to see whether you get drafted. And if you do get drafted, great. And if you don't get drafted, then so be it. But Emma had given me her word and uh, she stuck to her word. She, she actually drafted me. I was, I was 13th draft pick in that whole draft. And we're talking about players that um, we've got Cristiano, uh, Megan Rapino, who was the first uh, draft pick. You got Carly Lloyd, Cristiani, who I roomed with um, when I went to Chicago Red Stars. It was such a star-studded lineup. And I remember flying over there, getting my visa, flying over there, arrived in Chicago. I was just so excited. I had my first session with with Emma. It was just a one-on-one session because I'd just flown in. Just so excited. We had a bus trip, just a pre-season game. And because she knew that I was a lefty and that I was going to be taking all the free kicks and the corners on the left-hand side, I just overdid it. I took too many corners on on, on uh, the day before the game. Oh, sorry, the day of the game when we arrived. And then I just wanted to prove that I was good enough to be there. And um, we played the game that afternoon. And it was probably it was probably one or two degrees. It was so cold. And there was 10 minutes to go. And I remember just receiving a ball and was about to hit a diagonal ball across the, across the field, a 90-yard ball. And as, as I've struck the ball, I've torn my quad. And that was a week before the season. So, um, yeah, it was it was hard. It, it was hard because my dream to, to be able to play for the Chicago Red Stars um, was gone within that, that moment. Um, but the worst was about um, accepting that I couldn't play and I needed to rehab within America. And yet our medical staff and our medical team, Australian team, were so far ahead of what the Americans were. And I struggled to cope with how they diagnosed my injury and how the rehab of my injury. And in the end, I was off for months and I had to come back to Australia in the end. I remember Tommy Samani, the national coach at the time said, Heather, you just need to get back home and and, and rehab. And so I came back to Australia, rehab for a couple of months and it just, it it just wasn't good enough. I I went back to to America. I, I rehabbed my quad and then in the space of coming on, I'd, I'd been subbed on with about 15, 20 minutes to go. I've received the ball. I've run down the line. I'm about to hit it in behind the strikers. And Alex Scott, who was one of the top England defenders at the time, has just come from behind me, chopped me, and I broke my ankle. <laughs> it was the worst year of my football career, and you couldn't even I, – I, I, I had nothing. Um, it, was, it was horrible. And then Chicago Red Stars – um, didn't renew my contract, and it was it was the toughest year of my football career. Who do you turn to in those times when you're away from home, alone? You know, dad's on the end of end of the phone call. Your your good mates are not there. Um, it must be, uh, and there's, there's probably similar situations very uh, now. Albeit we'd hope that uh, people are cared for better. But you know, how did you sort of get through that time and then sort of rebound? I didn't. I, I didn't. I had um, Carly Lloyd was my best mate on the team. Um, she she tried her best to support me. Um, Megan Rapino again. Um, the, the hard thing was is that um, try to rehab while these guys are playing week in week out, and we weren't having having the success that we should have had with a quality team like we did. Um, you know, I'd call back home again from a family perspective. Now you've got your support network. I've got my husband and children. Um, who who you'd support, but as a pro footballer, you just you just don't have that support net, network. And um, I struggled in two thousand and nine. The best thing that came out of two thousand and nine, however, 
um, was meeting my husband. I, I went, ended up going to Abu Dhabi and I played in a, a tournament. Connie Selby had had brought me over uh, to play uh, for for you know Abu Dhabi, and I ended up meeting my my French husband. That was the best thing to, to come out of 2009. Besides besides that, um, 2009 was a write off, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's a really good segue into the next uh, major achievement in uh, Heather Garriak's. Uh, um, volume of working football in women's football, and you might think I'm going to talk about uh, uh, one of the three World Cups you taught you uh, you appeared in, or one of the uh, two Olympic Games, and we'll get to that in a moment. But um, you met your husband, and you had a little, uh, little daughter. Yes. And then you come back into the Australian setup, and I, I just you know uh, I've been wanting to ask this question um, for a long time about. Um, it's just sort of unheard of in today's uh, society that uh, you've got a daughter, you get selected to play for the national team, yet you've got to fund your mum to go with you to look after your daughter and all of this sort of gets into the um, um, human resources sort of uh, infrastructure in Australia and uh, the New South Wales courts. But yep. can you take us back to that time? Um, it just must have been a, a battle that you... Um, one didn't want to do, but just had to do. You take us back to that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, firstly, and I, I know I'm going to make light of it, but firstly, I blame Tom Samani. Um, Tom Samani was obviously the coach for years, and um, he was very accepting and, and very adaptable to any kind of player that would 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 want to fall pregnant and and want to continue their their football career. He decides to then head off to America and uh, coach the American women's team. So. Uh, I, Obviously, a new coach came in, and look, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm at peace with what happened. It's obviously created and and forged my journey to date. Um, but I'm I've represented my country for over ten years. Um, you know, one of the one of the highest capped Matildas. Um, I, we didn't qualify for London Olympic Games. I'm with my husband, and we decided to start a family. And um, my expectation, and I'm an optimist and I live my life like that, my expectation was that I have, have my daughter, I come back into the fold, um, I get supported. I never asked financially um, supported. I, I was off contract while I had my, my daughter. And, um, and I come back and Swiss supported me um, through their strength and conditioner and whatnot. And, um, and I come back into the Matildas. And if, if I'm good enough, then I get selected. And if I'm not good enough, then I don't get selected. But I was good enough, and I got selected for the American tour. And um, the words ring clear in my ears every time I think about it. And I remember the coach at the time saying to me, "Heather, you cannot be a professional footballer and a mother at the same time." And I I struggle with that. And in fact, um, any professional sports person or sports women. Would, would know, even men actually, would know the balance and how phenomenal your career um, is after you have children because it allows you to gain perspective on life. Anyway, so we went away to America and look, it, it was, it was you don't treat people like that. So basically it was tough. The manager tried his best to, to, to try and um, help with the situation. I couldn't see my daughter on, on the American tour. Um, there was rules and regulations, there was curfews, it was tough. And then 
obviously came back. I can't afford to. My husband's French. He's moved over for, from France to Australia to start a life with me. Um, you know, minimum wage. He's a landscaper. I'm trying to be a footballer that gets paid hardly anything. Flying my mum overseas. Well, the PFA stepped in and and um, and helped me out. And we ended up, you know, going to going to uh, fight. Um, for to change the legislation on women in sport and and child policies and and being able to allow um, women sports people to to change the perspective on yeah you can obviously play your prof- profession but also be a mother at the same time and so that was really tough that was a two year that was a t- two year ordeal and. Um, I remember the legal counsel at the PFA um, supporting me through that. And she supported me through that by saying, Heather, this is not going to help you. Um, This is going to be gruelling and this is going to be tough. However, it's going to pave the way for others that come after you in women's sport and women's football. And for me, that was good enough. Um, it's, it's, It's more about how we can improve standards going forward. And when I see the likes of Tamika Butt, um, with her young daughter and Katrina Gorry on the field holding her daughter after a match. Um, the pride and the happiness and just the just the feeling that I get of how important um, that couple of years to go through court and to be able to fight the fight of um, wanting better conditions uh, was, was worth every moment. For the Matildas, let's just... Uh, you played with some absolute legends of uh, women's football in Australia, Um and obviously, the, the high point was later in your career, uh, the Asian Cup victory in 2010. Can you talk about um, in your time when you started as a 16-year-old to when you were, you know, a, a pivotal player in that team as a leader and a, and a performer, how much women's football grew in that time? I, I think we focus a lot on the recent sort of five to ten or, or the A-League era, but this is pre-A-League yeah. era. Can you just sort of give us a view of um, how much women's football grew in your time and just the emotion of taking out an Asian Cup and what it meant for that group of players and the, and women's football's development at the time? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, do a, I'll do a little snapshot. So 2003, we couldn't compete at a World Cup level. We struggled. Um, I, was, I, was play, I remember playing up front. I was playing in a front three. I'm not a front three player. I'm, I'm slow as anything. So um, we struggled. So that that was the the era. Then we didn't have any depth. And then you fast forward to to um, you know 2007. That was the defining moment. Tom Samani took over the team. He'd obviously already been a, a national coach at Matilda's level. He understood the game. He he knew what it took to be successful. Uh, regardless of how we played, he was very adaptable, very flexible. And he allowed the players self-responsibility. So for a difficult player like myself, and I won't I won't shy away from that, high-maintenance player, he allowed me to think that I was, um, you know, running the team, whereas I wasn't running the team and making decisions for the team. He made me think that. So he's such a clever manager, and um, which made you want to not let him down and which made you want to play for him. And so um, that was 2007. Uh the moment in 2007, and um, if you haven't seen it, you need to see this moment, it was the moment where we were going home, we were packed, packing our bags, Canada um, uh, were playing, Australia was playing against Canada, there was 10 minutes to go, 
Um, I remember Canada scoring a goal against us and we were ready to pack our bags and, and head off home. Ten minutes to go. Um, Lisa Devana and Cheryl Salisbury um, basically turned around to all of us and said, this is not our time to go home, girls. We need to dig deep. We have to get another goal. Next thing you know, Lisa Devana has put the or Cheryl's run the, run the ball down. Lisa Devana's put the ball in the back of the net. No, sorry, it was Lisa Devana that run the ball down and Cheryl put the ball in the back of the net and thanks for coming and we're through to the next round. That was a defining moment. I think that captured the imagination of the general public for women's football in Australia. We, had, we were inundated with publicity and just, uh, you know, support from a Matilda's perspective. So... That was, that was the moment that I think was the turning point. However, the 2010 Asian Cup, there's no way we should have won that, that, that Asian <laughs> Cup. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, right? right? You've got Japan, who are world beaters. You've got China, who were unbelievable. North Korea, who are so difficult to play against. Yet Tommy made us believe, as a team, we can do it. And in that Asian Cup final, Katie Gill was injured. Sarah Walsh was injured. Sarah was was our our, our top top striker, um, and Lisa Devana was injured. And you had the likes of Sam Kerr come in, Emily Van Egmont, and Caitlin Ford come in to replace our three top top players. And to win that Asian Cup was just incredible. It was something that um, the general public wouldn't think that we could do, but we knew that we could do it. And you had young guns like Caitlin, Emily, and Semi that were just naive to to think that we're at an Asian Cup final. This is the first silverware for football in Australia. It's going to make history. And Sam's goal <laughs> in the final was just incredible. So look, it it, it was it was fantastic. And um, I look back on on that. And when I look at the girls, the Emily's and the Semis and the Catleys and the and the Caitlins now, um, that really built a foundation for them. Um, feeling and understanding what it takes to win and what the feeling is to win. And that's where I think um, the Matildas and the leaders now of this team have got have got a longing for that feeling and um, hopefully they're due to win something soon. In 2011, it comes to an end. And how was that and how did you cope with realising that your time in the national team was going to come to an end? It's pro- obviously for many athletes... Um, the most difficult times of their lives. Yeah, look, it wasn't um, it wasn't a swan song. It wasn't a um, okay. This is my last game. I've decided my last game. It was out of my control. Um, it was the current coach at the time um, deciding not to select me. You know, obviously being a mother and and, and a child is just the too hard hard basket. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, I could either dig deep and and really show that that I am good enough to be there and I I can contribute. Or I can I can turn around and and you know continue with my family in which I, I fell pregnant with my second daughter, um, which was you know a, a choice that that me and my husband had made. Um, I still hadn't decided whether I was going to walk away from the game because after Noel was born, um, I, I went back to to play actually um, for for Western Sydney Wanderers, um, but it was that time that I still hadn't accepted that I'd retired, and in fact. I haven't I haven't formally retired from the, the Matildas, so I'm still available, Tony. No, <laughs> no, just joking. Um, I, I I hadn't I have hadn't retired, and so I wasn't at peace with myself. 
And I spent a lot of years of being bitter um, throughout, you know, 2015 up until, you know, while I was coaching, I still wanted to play while I was coaching and that's where it was really difficult. Um, and now I know that I can't play because the quality and the speed of the game is is way past me. So, um, yeah, it was out of my control basically if I wanted to because Alan Stagic then got appointed, um, I think it was 2014 and 2015, in which he said to me, do you want to come back? Um, but I had two young children. Uh, I had to put my family first and um, I don't regret that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really pleased to have gone on and, and coached as, as the next part of my career. You transitioned into coaching in 2014. You have three really good years at Sydney Uni. Great setup there. Really good, uh, a leading club in the New South Wales uh, Premier League uh, women's football competition. And then you get the opportunity, uh, like so many um, women's coaches over the journey of Australian sport at Canberra United, uh, such a great uh, club for developing uh, women's coaches. You get that opportunity and I think uh, when I think about your time there, there's one word comes to mind and, and, and it, it was tough, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it yeah. Yeah, it was tough. Look, I, I at Sydney University, there was, there was um, when you have a support network and an entourage um, in which there was at Sydney University and uh, John Curran, who John is still Curran, there, yeah, still, still there to this day. Um, the success of Sydney University is stemmed from from that man. His recruitment, yeah. um, his blood, sweat, yep. sweat and tears. He he supported me through thick and thin, and and that was important. And when I got the opportunity, I remember the the opportunity coming at Canberra, and I laugh at it now, but it's I think it's really important to verbalise it. Is that my husband and I had just built our dream house out in Camden at Harrington Grove. Um, we're talking, we spent 18 months of watching this house, you know, doing the, the polished concrete, throwing the stones in the slab. It was our dream house. We had two young children. We'd just moved in. And then six months later, um, I, I received a call to say, are you interested in, in the Canberra United job? And I remember saying to my husband, oh, this is an opportunity, you know, we'd have to move to Canberra, obviously. And he's so supportive, he's amazing. He just said, is this what you want to do? This is a W League job. Let's go, let's do it. And I'm like, well, we've just built, built our dream house. And the contract, and I'm happy to happy to share it, the contract was $25,000. Yeah. We've just built our dream house. We've had to sell our dream house from Camden or Harrington Grove to then move the family, my husband hadn't hadn't got a job. I've got two young kids that are like I don't know, one year old and 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 three or four years old, for a twenty five thousand dollar coaching contract. And that to me, I guess, shows the passion, the love I have for football, and the support from my husband basically. Um, so we moved off to Canberra, and uh, Michael, you said tough. It was tough because do you know what. I only saw success in my football career. Um, it was very rare that I wasn't successful as a player. It was very rare that I was successful as a team. I played for Sydney FC. Um, you know, New South Wales was successful, successful at, in Sweden, successful in in in, in Denmark. Um, I, I only knew success. And then, um, you know, I, I, I came into Canberra and I thought I knew it all and, and I didn't. Coaching's an art and it's very different to, to being a, a footballer. And um, the first year, there were so many things I, 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 I did wrong. And then the second year, I tried to fix it up and it just wasn't working. And then by the third year, it, you know, it, 
I just I just remember thinking to myself, I'm trying to do something that I actually I actually haven't done a really solid apprenticeship to be able to have the skills to be able to execute what it is that that I need to do. And I struggled. I didn't have a mentor down there. I didn't have someone to support me. It was everyone looked at me. Um, whereas at Sydney University, it was the John Curran that that I'd go to and say, okay, well. You know, we've had a player sent off in the grand final. What do I do, John, at half time? And John said, "Have you thought about doing A, B, and C?" We did that. Next thing you know, we win the we win the grand final. So, I struggled with with the support network, and I struggled because I thought I knew more than what I did, and I struggled because I I played with some of the players that I coached. So, um, I look back on that time, and would I do things differently? One hundred percent. However, I think having that time within my coaching was really important to shape my character and shape what it is that I wanted to do next. And was it coaching? I wasn't sure whether it was coaching because in my mind, being a footballer and being a player and a person that loves, lives and breathes the game, I just wanted to stay in football, but it wasn't my, it wasn't my time to continue to stay in football. I needed to get out of football because I'd been in football since I was a little girl at five years old. So um, it took six months of soul searching, being unemployed, you know, stepping back, being a mother, one hundred percent, to to be able to realise that. Uh, what a wonderful career! But as many, uh, you know, on-field legacy as well as off-field legacy, Heather Garrick is a legend of the women's game in Australia, and we are so delighted you've taken some time out to talk to us. So people can listen to your story and learn a little bit more about you. You're now a director at Football Australia. You're still contributing to the game. And um, as we head into um, a World Cup year for women in 2023, um, there's going to be some, uh, there's plenty more football stories in the Heather Garrick uh, journey to write. So um, in your role as the Director of Football Australia and uh, what's coming ahead, good luck. Thanks for talking to us. And we hope you enjoyed sharing so your journey with uh, our audience. And, uh, and as a result of that, I'm sure they'll know you a little bit better, Heather. No, thanks for that, Michael. Thank you so much, and 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 Rob as well. And look, obviously, we've got a World Cup next year, um, and that's just a an absolute dream come true for for a, a former Matilda, and no doubt every other former Matilda that has paved the way for for these Matildas um, today. It is a dream come true, and I can't wait to sit in the stands and, and watch the Matildas put on a fantastic show, um, you know, for the world. And um, we didn't even talk about your role as CEO of Taekwondo Australia, just on, uh, on the side. But but in, in all seriousness, just to bookend the whole conversation, conversation, we started with family and we'll end with family. And uh, um, and and we know not a day goes by where um, the memory of your brother Nathan, who passed away tragically at the age of seventeen, um, hasn't been with you um, to to inspire you and, and carry you on. Oh, thanks, Rob. That's 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 really nice. And yeah, absolutely, Nathan. Nathan's always been beside me, and um, you know, without Nathan, um, I would never have been here today because he was the he was the kid that was uh, kicking the ball around with me in the backyard. Um, he was always a supporter and a fan, and um, no, I really appreciate you bringing that up as well, Rob. Um, no nice heather it's been a, a, an absolute privilege talking to you um we um we love watching um, the matildas these days and uh, and going back through some of the the footage and and back, back through the stories it's just a, it's just a great uh, uh part of of doing an, uh, an interview like this is to to look back on some of those wonderful times and uh, um and we thank you again and uh, and look forward to, to watching the next stage of uh, your career in football um you know particularly as we run up to the world cup thanks rob
All right, Heather Garriock, the wonderful Heather Garriock, 130 caps with the Matildas, a stunning career across uh, football in this country and around the world. We hope you've enjoyed it. I'm sure you have. Make sure you subscribe to box to box wherever you get your podcast. Tweet us at box to box nts Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and uh, join us throughout the week when we drop one form of contact or the other. It might be the full show. It might be stoppage time. And it might be a, another wonderful insight into the career and life of a person whose life has been lived in football in the world game.